Good morning, City Church. Any first-time visitors with us today? Or if there are, you get to experience with me a first time. (laughs) My name is uh, Joe Outlaw, and I'm one of the four elders here at City Church. And uh, I am also the newest, and I am also the oldest. So I put elder into our word elder, but, uh, and yeah, it's... Dustin is shaking his head up here in the front at his 43 years of age. But uh, uh, have no fear, this isn't my first time sharing a message. It's not my first time on stage. Uh, My first time on stage was back when I was a ninth grader. And uh, I attended a Junior Civitan statewide convention uh, at Presbyterian College in uh, Clinton, South Carolina. The second night of that was election night, and I wasn't going to run for office. I was just a freshman. But I had a good friend of mine come up to me, and he said, hey, Joe, would you give my nomination speech? I was like, sure, that'd be cool. I don't have a problem with that. And then my faculty advisor started meeting with me about this speech. I was like, it's only going to be two minutes. She said, well, we got to make sure you say the right things the right way, and by all means, we need to make sure you don't say the wrong thing at all. And so she went through a practice and a rehearsal, and by the time it was done, I was scared to death. And she said, Joe, your plan B is to have notes. I said, okay, that's a good idea. That's a good idea. So I went up there on stage, and the first thing I did is I looked out, and I realized that there's 250 to 300 kids in this room. And then I made the mistake of doing what I'm doing right now as I looked at the lights, and I looked back down, and I saw all these spots, and uh, uh, I was getting more and more lost into the moment, and uh, it was time to say something, and I realized quite quickly that uh, I'd forgot my good friend's name. (laughs) And then, of course, I forgot what he was running for, but I did not forget I had a plan B. However, by this time, I was so bundled up with nerves that all I could think to do as I held this microphone up to my chin, like they talked to you right here, right? I looked around the audience, and I said, and I pulled out my notes, and I read it through, and I exited stage right, and it was over. (laughs) Pretty good first experience. Well, I was bold enough the next year to go back, and on the third night was talent night. This was my punk rock phase, 10th grade don't be a hater. You guys went through a phase similar to that. At least, at least some of you did. But uh, uh, I was bold enough to be the lead singer in an air band, and we, we performed our house in the middle of the street, our house where the people like to meet. And from then on, the words get really, really fast. <laughs> and it wasn't a good experience either. I'd I share all that just to say, We're here today, this morning, to talk about courage. Thankfully, not my courage, (laughs) but I did come prepared with my notes, so my plan B is a plan A. Now, again, don't be a hater because, you know, uh, if you're used to being here, Billy uses notes, and he preaches every week. (laughs) So it's okay. That's what I keep telling myself. So, uh... We're going to dive into God's Word in um, just a minute, but I wanted to open us up in prayer. 
Lord, we're thankful. We're thankful to be here. I'm thankful that you've got us gathered here because I know there's purpose behind it. And Lord, to reveal that pur- purpose, uh, I pray, and I, I pray that these people in this room would, would pray for me, that you would empty myself of me. It's not a performance. It's all about you. Lord, I pray that I will be filled with you and what comes out of me will be from your spirit. Lord, I pray for those in the crowds. I pray that you have a specific word for them today. I pray that you give them eyes to see and ears to hear your word and what we can conclude and apply from your word in today's world. I pray that together we may honor you in all that we think, say, and do. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So this is our fourth week in the study of Daniel. Now we have, we have titled this whole study of the book of Daniel, How to Live in Babylon Without Having Babylon Live in You. This is actually our second week going through chapter 3 because it's that powerful of a message. Now, if you're churched or unchurched, this is one of the most familiar stories from the Bible. Today's focus, we're going to look at the three young leaders, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. We're going to look at how they model for us how to live in Babylon because they actually did. How their life and actions as believers of the one true God affected everything that they did and that they were tested in their faith. And we see that their life choices that they uh, that were unplanned circumstances, prepared them well for the life challenges that they were about to have. We can learn from that. Now, speaking of learning, when uh, I work with uh, our, what we call city students, our, our, our uh, high school, middle school age group, and right off the bat, my wife and I, Margaret and uh, Luke and Tori White, in working with our, our youth, we wanted to help them with some tools to study the Bible. So one of the first things that we did is we, we uh, went through the acronym of SOAP. Now SOAP, if you're not familiar, it starts with, it's a, it's a study habit, starts with scripture, then it goes to observation, application, and prayer. So I th- thought we'd, we would model that here today. So obviously scripture today is on Daniel 3. We're going to do some observation, and we're just going to get a taste of the observation We're going to look back at Daniel 1 and Daniel 2 so that we can have a good understanding of what's going on in Daniel 3 and how this uh, Daniel 1 and Daniel 2 and the history of these guys uh, help prepare them for what they're doing. So we're going to go through a time in Daniel 3 of application. Uh, We'll see some uh, application questions that we're going to talk through. And then, of course, we'll pray through it at the end. So... We're going to start off the observation. Daniel 1 and 2 begins as a history lesson. Matter of fact, Daniel is a book of history just as much as it is a book of prophecy. All events, activities, people, places, they're all real. The book of Daniel is not a collection of fables that are pieced together around one central character so that we might gain insight for better living. These happenings that begin close to 600 years prior to the birth of Christ 
involved a literal king named Nebuchadnezzar. And he besieged most of the known world at that time, including Judah. And it was his pattern and his strategy to take from each country its finest representatives out of their culture and to bring them to Babylon in order to indoctrinate them into his culture. Having besieged Judah, we read in Daniel 2, 17 through 19. Excuse me, we read Daniel 1, 3 through 4. The king ordered Aspenaz, his chief eunuch, to bring some of the Israelites from the royal family and from nobility. Young men without physical defects, good-looking, suitable for instruction in all wisdom, knowledgeable, perceptive, and capable of serving in the king's palace. Now, these guys remind me of our kids, our students right now. Young, good-looking, eager to, eager to learn, wise for their age. But these four, we learn, are, are their names. They're Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. That's their Hebrew names, but shortly after coming to Babylon, they were given... Uh, and we read it in Daniel 1.7, they are giving new names to indoctrinate them into the culture. Hananiah became Shadrach. Daniel, Belshazzar. Mishael became Meshach. And to Azariah, he got the name of Abednego. Daniel 1 and 2 allows us to learn key information about these four young men. First of all, we learn that uh, in chapter 1 that they know and obey God's word. We learn this through an experience where they are being asked or told to eat food that has been sacrificed to idols. They refuse to do so. They have a bold faith in making a, an announcement. These guys were probably somewhere around 15 years old, and they said, we're not going to eat that. Instead, give us other food. This was a huge statement of their, both their knowledge of God's word and their obedience to God's word. This is a great example of bold faith. Because of their knowledge of God's word and their bold faith, they honored the Lord with their actions, even in what uh, may seem a small matter to us today. In doing so, they won the favor of uh, those that were taking care of them, and they, pre they professed God throughout the process. And through that, God blessed them. We read in Daniel... 117, God gave these four men knowledge and understanding on every kind of literature and wisdom. Daniel also understood visions and dreams of every kind. It's Daniel's giftedness then that leads us to the next circumstance that challenged these four young leaders. Nebuchadnezzar had a dream that he wanted interpreting. He wanted that dream to be interpreted without telling them what the dream actually was. This is where we first learned that Nebuchadnezzar is kind of cray-cray. You know, who is expected to be able to do that? Well, not only is he expecting them to do that, but he's threatened all of his wise men, all of his advisors, that if they aren't able to do that, he's going to kill them all. Now, that kill them all extended to include uh, Daniel and the other three, and they hadn't even 
become aware that he was seeking this response. But Daniel asked for the opportunity to describe and interpret the king's dream. And so the king gave him some time and a chance. Daniel knew that he had but one chance. He didn't have any hints, no multiple choice, no do-overs. He had just one chance. This is where we learn that these four guys were prayer warriors and that they lived in a sense of community perhaps even in the same house. Daniel 2, 17 through 19 shares, Then Daniel went to his house and told his friends, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah about this matter, urging them to ask the God of the heavens for mercy concerning this mystery. So Daniel and his friends would not be destroyed with the rest of the Babylonian wise men. The mystery was then revealed to Daniel in the middle of the night in a vision. And Daniel praised God of heavens. Daniel went back to his house, found his friends, and they prayed together. What a novel idea at any time, but especially in a crisis. And through that, God revealed this mystery to Daniel. Daniel and his friends then went to the king and told him everything he had seen and interpreted for him. Daniel saved all the wise men, and he did so while praising God the entire time. He stated that no one has the capability to reveal, but there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries, and he has let the king know what will happen in his last days. Well, after Daniel explained the dream's meaning, the king commanded an offering with incense to be made for Daniel. And he confessed, truly your God is a God of gods and a Lord of kings. And he is a revealer of mysteries, for you have been able to reveal this ministry, mystery. Daniel 2, 48 through 49, we find that the king gave Daniel high honors and many great gifts and made him ruler over all of Babylon, and the chief prefect over the wise men of Babylon, Daniel made a request of the king, and therefore he appointed Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego over the affairs of the province of Babylon. But Daniel remained in the king's court. So this is our observations. This is the context and the background that we can take with us, and we can conclude about Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, and Daniel. Primarily, their faith was an active one. And this is supported because they knew God's word. They obeyed God's word. They were prayer warriors who did life together. And they were bold in their faith. And we're about to learn that this active faith made them ready for what's next. In Daniel 3. So now we're going to move from observation into a little bit of an application. Now it's good for us to know that Daniel 3 are occurrences that happened some 18 years after what we had just been, been looking at. It seems that all the king could recall about the dream that was interpreted 
was that he was the gold head on top, and maybe that, you know, down near the bottom it got, it got kind of crumbly because of it, was, it was made of iron and clay. So he had the bright idea of making a 90-foot statue that was all gold from head to toe. He commanded all the people, pointing out specifically the different leaders throughout the land, that when the music was played from a multitude of instruments, all should bow down and worship this tall, golden image. But not all did. And it was noticed. In Daniel 3.12, we read, There are certain Jews whom you have appointed over the affairs of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, pay no attention to you. They do not serve your gods. They do not worship the golden image that you have set up. Boldly not bowing in public, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego drew a line in the sand. So our first application question, are you ready? Are you ready for such criticism and accusation? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they were different. We know them as superheroes today in our faith, primarily because of the story that we are reading about right now. After approximately 14 years serving in leadership capacity in Babylon, they still stood out in a crowd. Foreigners, they didn't look like everybody else. They ate different foods than everybody else. They lived their lives under the scrutiny of others who were hoping or perhaps even setting them up for a big fall. These three were hated by the Babylonians, the Chaldeans. They are criticized from outside of their faith for their faith and have now drawn a spotlight on themselves. Rollo May, a culture psychiatrist, has said, the opposite of courage in our society is not cowardice, but conformity. These three would not conform. Today, it seems like we're being more criticized from inside the church than outside the church, and that is a travesty. Many of us here, however, have stories that we could share where our jobs have been on the line, our motives questioned, our actions misunderstood. We've been left out, we've been plotted against, we've been treated very, very cruelly because of our faith. How have you handled those circumstances? Are you ready for more of the same? Or perhaps even worse? Daniel 3, verses 13 through 15, we read. Then Nebuchadnezzar, in a furious rage, commanded that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought. So they brought these men before the king. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said to them, Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the golden image that I have set up? Now, if you are ready, when you hear the sound of the horn, the pipe, the lyre, and all these other musical instruments, to fall down and worship the image that I have made, well and good. But if you do not worship, 
you shall immediately be cast into the burning fire. And who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands? So our next application question is, are you ready to be confronted? Henry Blackaby, in Experiencing God, says, God reveals himself to increase faith that leads to action. What he shows you will become critical when you come to a crisis of belief. As a football coach, I used to teach, and I firmly believe that character isn't formed in the trial. It's revealed through the trial. We pray for miracles. We legitimately hope that we will be ready for these trials. We believe we are ready. We believe that miracles will come. But it sure would be helpful if we knew what those things are that we need to be ready for. Well, Jesus said that in this world you will find trouble. But take heart, I have overcome the world. What do you expect from God? Blessing us sounds nice. I like blessings. Working through us, maybe not so attractive. Perhaps you're thinking right now, do you really want to be used by God? I don't think these three had in mind that they were setting an example that we were going to follow some 2,000 plus years later. I think their mind was set simply on being faithful. And through their faith, they have become an example for us. Again, in Daniel 3.14, Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the golden image I have set up? Refusing to bow was motivated by their relationship with the one true God. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were tested in their faith and courage when King Nebuchadnezzar commanded that all the people of his kingdom worship this golden statue, but they refused to comply. They've been called out. The ESV version of the Bible says they were maliciously accused for not bowing at the grand image. The king pays them a visit and demands for them to bow, even boasting, who is this God? who will deliver you out of my hands. They died to themselves and they lived for God. It didn't seem like a hard choice. For them, it wasn't a hard choice. They were ready. They were ready for the challenge. They were even ready for the penalty. How about you? How about me? Are we ready to be condemned? Daniel three sixteen through 23. This is a lot of scripture together. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us. From this burning fire, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But be it known, O king, that we will not serve your gods 
or worship the golden image that you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar was filled with fury, and the expression on his face was changed against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He ordered the furnace heated seven times more hot than it usually was heated, and he ordered some of the mighty men of his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and cast them into the burning, fiery furnace. Then these, ma- these men were bound in their cloaks, their tunics, their hats, easy to burn, and they were thrown into the burning, fiery furnace. Because the king's order was so urgent and the furnace so hot, the flame of the fire killed those men who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they fell bound into the fiery furnace. I've called this lesson today, this message today, Courageous Faith. And I'm an English major, so I understand that's redundant. C.S. Lewis once said, Courage is not simply one of the virtues, but the form of every virtue at its testing point. What faith is not a courageous one? Those of little faith? Jesus said, if you and I, we have a faith the size of a mustard seed, we could say to this mountain, move, and it will move. What is faith without courage? James tells us that faith without works is dead. But sometimes for emphasis, it's worth repeating. They had a courageous faith. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, uh, they, they spoke into the situation with such boldness and audacity to the king of the known world. They were probably around 33 to 35 at the time. It had to be strong faith or morbid stupidity. But these statements weren't just words for them. It was a pronouncement that had anchors to their souls and serves as a model for exactly why we should take two straight weeks at City Church to unpack this true lesson. Guys, it's not about the size of our faith, but the object of that faith. And with God, all things are possible. In this situation, one of the reasons that we champion it so much is that God shows up. Literally, he shows up. Daniel 3, 24 through 26. Then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished and rose up in haste. He declared to his counselors, did we not cast three men bound into the fire? They answered and said, this is true, O king. He answered and said, but I see four men unbound, walking in the midst of this fire, and they are not hurt. And the appearance of the fourth is like a son of the gods. Then Nebuchadnezzar came near to the door of the burning fiery furnace, and he declared, he called out, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God. Come out and come here. Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out from the fire. Jesus met them in the fire. Last week, I think Billy called that a Christophany, a theophany. Jesus actually showing up in the Old Testament. 
This story ends well. They survive. But how courageous is our faith in the midst of the but if not reality? So the next application for us. Are we ready for the but if not? As a reminder, this says the, the, uh, the three answered Nebuchadnezzar and they said, If this be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace. And he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Strong faith. There's a, a movie that Margaret and I watched uh, maybe six, eight months ago. It's a, it was a, a kind of, it was real, but it was also a documentary about uh, these missionaries that went uh, from Portugal to, to Japan. It was around 1560, I believe. Uh, and it was a very powerful, powerful movie. So I started to do some research on it. And I, I discovered that these missionaries started coming in and settling and, and doing ministry around Nagasaki, uh, Japan, one of the, the two areas that, you know, um, we bombed in World War II. So uh, Nagasaki, by the time of, of around 1560, uh, 1600, became known as the Rome of Georgia, I'm, of Georgia, of Japan, <laughs> the Rome of Japan. There were so many Christians in there. there matter of fact, the, the count at that time was some 500,000 Christians living in Nagasaki. Well, you can imagine that the Japanese government and their religious leaders didn't like that fact. And so they decided they were going to do something about it. And around 1620, they devised a plan that uh, would call out these Christians for torture and ultimately uh, for death. They created this little plate. I don't know what it was made of. Honestly, it could have been gold. It could have been bronze. But it was a, it was a plate. We've got a picture of it. I want to sh share it with you now. Um, they would put that. They made an annual uh, custom at the, at the first day of their new year, that they were going to put this plate on the ground in front of everybody who lived in the vicinity of Nagasaki. And those people would come by that plate in the ground, and they would have a choice to make. They could step on the face of Jesus and continue to live, or they could refuse to step on that face and face torture and death. Yeah. As you can imagine, there were many that did both. And the underground ministry of the Japanese church uh, remained to be strong. But for many, they made the choice not to stand on the face of Jesus. And their torture was cruel, y'all. I'm going to go to a little bit PG-13 on us. But the way that they tortured, tortured these uh, believers was that they bound their feet, they hung them upside down over a hole, 
But knowing that they would die quickly because of the blood rushing to their heads, they cut slits into their temples so the blood would drip out. Ultimately, they would become weak. They would come close to death. And then they would pull them out. They would nurse them back to health. And they'd put them back in again. And of course, this was done so that all would see. Would you and I follow Jesus in that circumstance? I'm not familiar with anyone in this room who has actually faced being tortured or put to death because of your faith. Perhaps there are. I know that Dustin works with Haggai, Dustin Willis works with Haggai Ministries, and he deals with a lot of indigenous missionaries who are going through that type of persecution right now. There are thousands of others, just not in America. I'm certain that each of us, however, have faced a time in our furnace. And it was hot. And it hurts. In that furnace, we have persevered a lot of travesty. We've seen brothers in untimely death. We've seen close friends and family members, parents and grandparents die from COVID, cancer, car wrecks, heart attacks. We've seen our children suffer, definitely evidence of a fallen world. We've experienced awful mistreatment. We've been through miscarriages, divorces, We've been thoroughly mad or even disgusted with God. Many of us are feeling right now that you and I, are, we're living in this but-if-not stage of life. We do live in a fallen world and we face harsh realities. But the prophet Isaiah tells us, when... When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. Through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned, and the flame shall not consume you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. One of my heroes as a young Christian was a guy named Jim Elliott. He's a missionary who gave up his life. Before he did that, he, he was keeping a journal, and one of his journal entries, he said this, He is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain that which he will never lose. There was another in the fire with Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, and he is here with us today. So what can we add to our earlier observations about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? How is this effective for us? We know that they stole, stood with courageous faith because their faith was active. Our faith can be as well. God wants it that way. They knew God's word. We can know God's word too. We actually have it available to us. It was taken from them. They obeyed God's laws. 
we know that Jesus fulfills them all. They were prayer warriors. We can be as well. They did life together. We have the opportunity right here through City Church for biblical community. It's a great opportunity. We need to take advantage of it. They were bold in their faith. And we can be as well. We also learned that they had an active faith that made them ready for what happens next. We know that we can trust that our God is able, our God is with us, and Jesus is with us, especially when we're in the fire. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for examples in your word around us today. Lord, you didn't call us just to serve you on occasion, but to be fully committed, to be all in. You desire us to be all in. Lord, and because you desire that of us, you've equipped us well for it with your Holy Spirit. Lord, there's plenty, plenty of us going through fires right now. And Lord, I pray that they know that you are present, that you make it known, that you use word to make it known. You use messages like this to make it known. You use friends to make it known. Lord, we pray that we can be your hands and feet, and we pray that we, too, can live a courageous faith. Amen.